Hey, this is Cole Vallis, Tommy Elliott, and Hush from the Fox TV show Gotham, and you're listening to Superhouse. Everything you need to know, Batman. Welcome, everybody, to the Superhouse Podcast, your favorite house for podcasts. I'm Old Wolfie Cruz, a.k.a. Young Wolf the Don, and joined with me are the other two knuckleheads. I'm Andrew, and I live in a world of Indeed. And I'm Ben, and I'm the man who knows too much about Batman. <laughs> oh! Heck yeah, they do. Um, <laughs> this is the final installment of our Batman uh, History of Batman Video Games episodes. Um, for and now. We're finish up for now, for now, definitely just for now. Lots to explore, lots to play. Shout out to all you who watched those Let's Plays. Those were fun. Um, in this episode, we're going to follow up uh, on the Telltale game series by um, going over Season 2, which uh, Ben will regale us again, once again, <laughs> yes. as well as Andrew and uh, I kind of chiming in about some of the play mechanics that go into these games and what sets them apart from you know, the Arkham games or the earlier games that we covered Take it away, Andrew. Okay, thanks for teaming up with the game mechanics part. Um, so, yeah, uh, just to go over it really, really quickly um, before I throw it off to Ben uh, to, to finish this out. But um, basically, um, I thought it would behoove us to go over this stuff just really quick. And uh, a little, just quick history about the Telltale company itself. Um they were basically just a game company that was known for hiring good screenwriters, like better than normal, to create an experience that pays homage to the original film or franchise that they were doing a game of. In September of 2017, Job Stouffer, Job, Job Stouffer, or Stouffer, I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, gave, the name sounds delicious. Said like in an interview. <laughs> 15 minutes in the oven. <laughs> Cooks a nice mac and cheese. Job Stouffer. He, he called Sorry. Telltale's role as a company, I guess, and as a quote, an interactive TV network and a studio, end quote. So I thought nice. that was interesting. They're also uh, known for creating their own uh, engine called the Telltale Tool. And I want to be very clear here. They call it the Telltale Tool and not the Telltale Game Engine. So, and we're none of us are, are game programmers here, so I don't know the exact difference there, but it does seem that this Telltale Tool is very close to a game engine. Um, it does all the same things that a game engine would do, uh, maybe Say more. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, and they start. They used Telltale that. Tool. They used the Telltale tool since Bone out of Boneville, the Bone comic. I remember you uh, commented on mm -hmm. that a little bit last time, Wolfie. I've read um, a little bit of Bone, not the whole thing, but it's cool, great art, anyway. Yeah, and um, in mid in mid June 2018, Variety magazine. That's one of the trades. Um, reported that Telltale was moving away from their tool and they wanted to their tool <laughs> and moving, oh, oh my and, and they wanted to uh, have they wanted to use the Unity game engine uh, that never happened though because I don't know if I'm skipping ahead here Ben but they went out of business in uh, right. 2019 or something <laughs> yeah Telltale is no longer Dang. with us yeah uh, uh, more or less I mean it kind of got bought out or it's sort of restarting but as far as batman stuff goes this is as much as we can dive into and might ever dive into for the series into yeah. the telltale batman right damn yeah um 
And uh, just to go over really quick what exactly a game engine is, uh, just reading from the Wikipedia here, a game engine, also known as a game architecture, a game framework, or a game frame. I've never heard anybody say that, but um, <laughs> anyway. Game frame. Soft- Software development environment designed for people to build video games. It is basically the core functionality of the video game. Most games you make these days are going to have a a character moving in 3D space. You have those basics, the core programming, right? So uh, everybody will just build off of that. One of the most famous examples is, of course, the Unreal Engine that everybody uses right now. Um, And... uh, that's basically it for the game engine stuff. Uh, if you want to know more about that, just Google it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Google what is the best Google game frame out there. <laughs> uh, and then finally, just go over the gameplay mechanics. So all the, all the Telltale games, to my knowledge anyway, rely basically on one gameplay mechanic called quick time events. A quick-time event is a method of context-sensitive mm-hmm. gameplay in which the player performs actions on the control device uh, shortly after the appearance of an on-screen instruction, instruction or prompt. This term Can I put quick- that into layman terms for non-gamers? Yeah, so basically uh, some shit comes on screen like a button, uh, like A or B or X, and press well, it real... I was going to do it, but... Oh, sure. go ahead. You do it. You do it. <laughs> It's like if somebody's running at you and they're about to punch, it's kind of midway through a cinematic where you can hit a function, uh, punch or kick or duck or dodge or something like that in order to facilitate the resolution of that sequence. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Very good, Wolfie. Um, so, um, I was like, was that layman's terms? Facilitate. After I said the, it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you press B on some shit before the time runs out. Yeah. Um, or else it decides for you. From what I've seen, um, a lot of the times they give you choices in terms of what you can say or do. And uh, you have to pick which one before the time runs out. And that'll decide what the character does in the in the game. That's basically it. But just to be very specific here, Ben, you don't necessarily need even a choice. You just have to press it right like before. The, like technically, the, the, the definition of a quick time event does not necessitate choices. But Telltale does do that. Mm-hmm. So, yes. I mean, you're right. But yes. Okay, so... um. The term QuickTime Event was coined by a Japanese programmer named Yu Suzuki when he was working on the game Shenmue for Dreamcast. Um, Shenmue was pretty ahead of its time. And also, I'm always so surprised by how good the Japanese are at coining uh, phrases in a language that's not native to them. You know, like... Who could coin a Japanese phrase, you know? But the Japanese, (laughs) Japanese do it all the time with English. It's crazy, and it works. Um, like what? Oh, you caught me. I don't know, but I feel like it happens a lot. <laughs> or anything from the game? I feel like I feel like in general, I I can't think of a good example now, but I feel like there's. Do you remember the day when the snow turned to rain? <laughs> Did you ever play these games? Oh, what? Like what? From Shenmue. Oh, the whole game yes, is like yes. it's so captivating, but the game itself the plot is actually quite boring you like wander through a small japanese town then a small part of the city and then you it's walk, all then it's you all in hong kong drive a forklift it's not in japan it's yeah. shimu's in hong kong the first one's in japan is it 
Yeah, yeah, because you take a boat on the very last stage after you work like 40 hours a week <laughs> doing a forklift job. Yeah. We want you to, to be as realistic to that life as possible. Yeah, it's like no the fun. whole job is like you leave your neighborhood and then you go get a job and then you get in one little fight and your mom gets scared and then you're off to Hong Kong. Dude, I, I had Shenmue as soon as it came out and I played and it was like incredible for the first hour and then I was like, eh, I'm bored. <laughs> yeah i mean it's just really yeah it's just like a kind of a slice of life video game i guess if you go if you wanted to approach it you get in like a handful of fights in the game and most of it is spent like making money buying toys talking to people and one of the things at the very first stage it's like over and over do you remember when the snow turned to rain <laughs> like he's <laughs> referencing the day his father was murdered and everything oh god it sticks out quite well it's deep in my mind yeah. that was the same summer as jet set radio anyway oh shit all right yeah dreamcast is great or winter my bad. anyway moving on um the gameplay mechanic itself however is pretty old um yu suzuki coined the phrase quick time event but he didn't invent that style of gameplay himself um it was originally used in games like dragon's lair most notably it came out in uh, june of 1983 by cinematronics uh there was a cliffhanger game not based on the movie um <laughs> and that was also in 83 and a game called road blaster <laughs> in 85 yeah um and all these games are on LaserDisc actually because uh Whoa. they weren't they were they were like it was like pressing up on a dvd menu you know it was all you had to do was just press the button at the right time so um oh wow yeah so and then you could have these great graphics because the like again this is like 83 at the time you have like early atari age graphics but then you cut to dragon slayer like where you're playing the video a video game that pa this is like the video game patrick bateman would have yeah exactly you play i mean it's just like the, it was a huge improvement <laughs> graphics wise and um and i don't know i don't understand the patrick bateman comment but whatever <laughs> Okay. Well, because he's like, it's <laughs> like the 80s, he's like Dragon rich, Quest. he has like the yeah. new technology, oh, and he okay. would have the hottest new Laserdisc game oh, I got right you. before he murdered somebody. The yeah. early work was a little too new wave. <laughs> oh, yeah, case. exactly. But yeah. after Dragon Quest came out, that's when they really hit it off, <laughs> commercially <laughs> and artistically. <laughs> that was perfect, Ben. You should do that more often. <laughs> um, Just be Patrick Bateman at random times in this episode. <laughs> the final thing I wanted to bring up before I hand it off was um, QuickTime events actually kind of received mixed reactions among game players, among gamers and journalists, I guess game journalists, whatever. And uh, basically, the more cinematic a game is, and honestly, possibly even the better the story, it kind of it can maybe take a hit to the gameplay itself. Um, I mean, basically, you're just pressing a button that it tells you to. You know what I mean? There's, there's not much, like, room. It's doesn't, not a lot of wiggle room there, gameplay-wise. So um, I guess I'm asking mainly Wolfie here, um, since Ben is not so much a gamer himself. Um, how do you feel about games with quick-time events, just in general, Wolfie? Um, in general, I like them. Actually, most of the games that fall into my favorite genre, um, being, like, third-person action games like sleeping dogs tomb raider uncharted or whatever all these games utilize the refined version of these quick time events over the years past the shin moves and stuff um i like i quite like when they're incorporated uh, especially with other play mechanics which the telltale games has only like maybe a handful of other play mechanics okay 
Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I think that the I don't think it's like really great gameplay itself. If I'm being perfectly honest, uh, it's mm-hmm. it's cool. I think that with Telltale, they've got such a great story that you kind of let it pass. It's it's just a, it's just like. Yeah, I, I just it's got that choose your own adventure element to it as well. I, I wish it, I wish the story would like kind of branch out a little more because that way it feels like you're controlling yeah. you're controlling it more because it seems like there's not many right. like different um, stories. I mean, there's a little bit of branching, but but I feel like if you really wanted to hone in that gameplay, I think that we're still I still I still feel like we haven't seen the best quick time event game right. uh, to come out. Oh well, you know for I mean? sure. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's definitely not a whole lot of like AAA games or like mainstream games that rely solely on like the quick time event thing. Um, I guess yeah, as a as an addendum to my answer, I like quick time events when they're incorporated in to um, bigger titles when it's usually just a small play mechanic as opposed to like the sole play mechanic of the entire game. I remember playing like King's Quest six on the PC and stuff and had like the point and click elements to it. Yeah. Um uh not so much quick time, but I like how Telltale kind of mixed uh just simple styles of gameplay into because really the quick time events the only time you really are doing quick time well, I guess with the dialogue, I see what you're saying, because they're timed uh responses. Yeah. Um, that makes it tough, man. That's the time. Yeah. The timing does I do, makes it kind of a challenge yeah. in that way. Yeah. I like I it. Mean, but imagine you imagine have this to... type of gameplay with a really shitty script. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> right. Like, yeah. It would be terrible. Yeah, it would be, be terrible. Check out. Like like It'd with horrible, um yeah. like with Mario, you know, like just an extreme example, like you don't even need a story because the gameplay is so good. You know what I'm saying? Or Sonic right. or whatever the fuck. Like it's the ba- story is so bare bones. But you have great gameplay, but this is kind of the reverse where the story is so fucking good, but the gameplay itself is like, it kind of hinges solely on that story, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. It's it's a quality that's higher than even most uh, AAA games. I would say <laughs> so, know? So they, yes. they, they definitely have like uh, the the direction from that in terms of quality of storytelling. It seems like something that's been a mainstay of that company. All right, and that's pretty much it for me. Telltale went bankrupt in September of 2018 and <laughs> ran out of money, and that's it. All right, take it away, oh, Ben. Oh, shoot. <laughs> uh, supposedly, the Telltale series for Batman was said to be, according to usgamer.net, uh, quote, one of the worst commercial failures for the company. Oh, my God. Yeah, I could see. So I tried to sell my brother on it so many times, this and The Walking Dead. I'm like, it's so cool. you got to try it, but. A lot of people were too stubborn. That shit's not for yeah. everybody, man. And you know, there's also yeah, a yeah. very, very niche but gaining popularity subgenre of games called a visual novel as well. Mm. They're selling them more and more on the cool. Switch because you can read it like a book on the go. So Telltale's like almost a version of that, too. So I wonder if this genre will pick up steam as we go I- along, you know? Well, and, and in terms of it being like quick time events and choices and the fighting being like swipes and stuff, I think these type of games will translate to mobile, a mobile market in like oh, a really big way. That's a great idea. Yeah, Which, for sure. Because you don't need like great yeah, controls. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's like it's it's super hard to play like, you know, like a like a 20 plus hour action game just on your phone and the friction from the screen starts burning your thumb and shit. Yes, you know yes. I mean? but just being able to swipe and touch and stuff, you could play like long 
games like this, you know, maybe pared down or maybe somebody takes from this kind of mechanic and, and develops on it. But for mobile, I think for sure. That's true. I could definitely see that. Yes. I'd have more, you'd have more phone uh, games on your phone, you know, I, just, I think if you could play another season of Telltale that was exclusive to your phone, I think they're on most mobile uh, devices now anyway. And play it while you take so. a dump. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's no, really that's the... really where anybody working in media, commercial media now needs to bank on the fact that most people are watching your shit while they're shitting. Dude, <laughs> Kevin Smith brought up this really great uh point about his about movies in general. He was like, even AAA movies a year after their release, people might watch a clip of it on YouTube while they're taking a shit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's very true. You got to be adapted to all forms, whether it's the theater yeah. or the genre. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. now everybody has a TV in their pocket. They're just like, well, fuck you. I'm going to go take a shit and watch the rest of my episode of Friends. Dude, you remember in Wayne's World 1, I think at the end, the guy had a TV in his limo. <laughs> and it was like the yeah. sign of a rich Hollywood producer a record producer yeah and it was like this fucking shitty ass crt in his limo and now <laughs> yeah. now everybody's got like a fucking like supercomputer in their pocket yeah <laughs> their own now times change window yeah uh, apparently this was available on mobile platforms was it really I just yeah, looked yeah. It up. oh shit. yeah yeah uh, as well as on the nintendo switch which is obviously super popular now given the whole quarantine situation yeah. nice hey mobile, ben did you ever did yeah. you find telltale's number one game was it walking dead um their highest sales is. let me let me verify that but i'm, I'm gonna go sure back and play those back to the future ones they're on mobile as well they have back to the future ones on, on ipad i think yeah they made a back to the future games that's cool that were supposed to be pretty good i remember just reading about them at the time but then they uh i remember now that they're on mobile a lot of these games are on mobile so hopefully that market starts to take off and there's a little Mm -hmm. bit more like less is more kind of play mechanics for longevity of being able to like go through fun games like phoenix Wright would be a really good game to oh yeah to translate to mobile which i think they've done but you know Build new games based on these same principles would be interesting to see. You know, back in like 2011, Shit, start coding. Back in 2011 or so, or, or something like that, it, I, everybody was saying it, all games are going mobile, consoles are dead. Yeah. And now we're in 2020. They made a like, Diablo sequel. But like 20, we're in 2020 now, and like consoles are still kind of very much alive, you know? So hasn't yeah. happened yet. Yeah. The, yeah. So anyway. have you guys played more of the first season? since the last time we recorded no i played a little bit uh ben i finished that episode and then i then i started i started the the second episode but i i think i got kind of halfway through with that it's continually good oh and since i mean you know since it was spoiled for me about um lady arkham and vicky vale i'm not telling that bitch anything she she keeps asking for the story, and I'm like, I give her the cold shoulder every time, Ben, because I know she's evil. Good, she deserves yeah. it. You realize how many how many of us schlubs just went along with her, you know? Yeah, oh, I'll tell you anything. Her musings and her false sense of security. Vicky. <laughs> yeah, so I, she should be safe. She's my future. It says, oh, Vicky Vicky <laughs> Bell will remember that. Yeah, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> the top left Peace on you. <laughs> she still pokes you with a needle. So, oh, yep. man, yeah, that's man. pretty. Okay. So, 
how much do you guys know then about the second season? Absolutely nothing, Ben, um, other than the Joker s- shit you told us. Slim to none. Yeah. Okay. This is going to be fun, then. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, and it's fun in the sense that since you guys don't know what's coming, there's a lot of twists, as usual. As we've seen, like, Telltale was pretty much like, you've seen so many versions of Batman, the only way we're going to stand out is if we're going to do even more of Twisting of Canon. And I have a feeling that maybe they saw the writing was on the wall, because this came out around 2017 to 2018. And Telltale mm. shut down around 2018 to 2019 or so. So maybe thought maybe writing's on the wall plus apparently the first one was a commercial failure yet they still were able to make it i have a feeling they're they were kind of just like you know what let's just do everything and take all the risks because we might not we might not be able to do this again right right i don't know for sure if that's what happened that's when they make the best shit yeah but i feel like that's (laughs) what happened because that's they there's obviously a bigger play here in terms of trying to fuck around with canon in this one even more so than the first one hmm so it's we'll, we'll I'll dive into it, but it's it's interesting to see in the context because at the time when I was watching it, 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 the Telltale was still around. I didn't know about the whole closure. I didn't know that the first one was a commercial failure. But in hindsight and looking back, I'm like, oh, mm. that actually makes more sense. Right. That they would be like, you know what, fuck it, let's just, let's just do all the different things that we can do. Cool. All right. That's cool. Primed and ready. Right. Let's do it. I'll so, play it in my mind video games right now. <laughs> Here we go. We have some of the obviously some of the same characters and voice actors from before. So we got Troy Baker coming back as Batman and Ryan oh, yeah, Alfred, Murphy Geyer as Gordon. And we need less time establishing this world because we already know, like, if you play the first game, that this is a new take on Batman. This is where the Waynes were criminals and Bruce is trying to make up for that. Mm. Uh, and so he is trying to sometimes when he investigates gangsters, he doesn't go in as Batman or even as Matches Malone. He just goes as Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And just sort of plays it off as like, yeah, he just sort of plays it off as this like, oh, like the public thinks that I'm like this upstanding citizen, but I won't tell anybody about you, you know, that type of thing. (laughs) So in the beginning, he's scoping out this Japanese mobster. And as he's doing it, someone else approaches this mobster in a green suit and says, stop me if you've heard this one before. I begin and have no end. It's a specter? And I end all that begins. What? Yes, what? The Spectre, Spectre's obviously. in this motherfucking shit? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. He's in a green hood. God, you had me. I was like, I'm going to skip straight to this episode. <laughs> green Arrow? Spectre. Oh, okay. He oh, says, yeah. you have failed this city. No. Uh, <laughs> it's Alfred sees him on, because apparently Bruce has the contacts that enable him to have surveillance, and Alfred sees this in the back computer. Alfred just like, went remember. to a Robin Hood convention. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like, I remember him from your father's time. That's the Riddler. <laughs> so this is their version of the Riddler, who oh, yeah. in this version uh, has was a criminal during the time that Thomas Wayne was running things. So this Riddler is like sixty years old, <laughs> which is weird uh, to me. And he's this is like the second version of Riddler to have appeared before Batman because we had the Gotham version, who got established in like season mm-hmm. three or four mm-hmm. of the show when Bruce was still in training. Uh, he's voiced by Robin Atkin Downs, who's this big. He's a British voice actor. He has played Deathstroke in Beware the Batman, was the Grand Master of the Court of Owls in Batman vs. Robin, uh, was Alfred Pennyworth in Lego Batman 3, oh, the shit. video game, alongside Troy Baker's, uh, Troy Baker's Lego Batman. He was also Alfred in Justice League Doom opposite Kevin Conroy. And uh, probably the biggest get for him was he was the motion capture and, I guess, the growls and shit for Doomsday 
in Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Oh shit! Cool. That's cool. Yeah. So he's gone from Doomsday to now he's the Riddler. <laughs> this guy's have got the he's... full range going on. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Him and Troy, and again, he's like he's another alum from like Lego DC stuff. Uh, but he, this is a a veteran Riddler who has heard of Batman. They have their first confrontation, and he's just you know I was running things in Gotham before you could walk type of thing. <laughs> he's like I'm the old man, but I'm more experienced than you type of thing. Um, unlike the other Telltale reinventions where I was just like, you know, I love the Penguin that they did. I love the version of Two-Face that they did with him being the mayor and how they switched around with Vicky Vale. This Riddler's kind of what you would expect outside of the whole, like, oh, he's old now. It's just <laughs> like he's standard fucking shit. shit. Yeah, it is probably because he's not actually the main villain. Oh, uh, yeah. So, Does he have a like question mark on his bald head like in the Harley Quinn cartoon? <laughs> You know, he doesn't. He has hair. <laughs> he has hair. Uh, he has gray hair. Uh, but, yeah, no, the main weird thing, he has, like, a he has a green hood, just like the Spectre or Arrow. Uh, and he has a cane. He has, like, a really solid metal question mark cane that I think at one point he uses to slash a guy's throat. But he's this deadly, more homicidal type of Riddler. But I do prefer the Arkham version of Riddler. Wally Wingert's performance as Riddler just sounded a little bit more how Nigma would sound. Riddler here just kind of sounds like just a very threatening, menacing criminal type of he thing. He looks so kind of whack, to be honest. Yeah. I'm lo- I it's Googled not, him. Yeah, he's, he's not quite... He doesn't live up to the other Telltale versions of the villains, in my opinion. Well, fuck that guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but let's go into some of the other characters who show up here, because there's a lot of new characters in this outside of uh, the Riddler. So... Uh, because of the fact Riddler's been around for so long and he's done crimes across different cities and different states, this is where the feds come in. So we, we're dealing with federal agents stepping on Gotham turf and having turf ter- turf wars with Commissioner Gordon and Batman and everything. And, of course, the head of this agency is Amanda Waller, uh, who's voiced oh, by Deborah shit. Wilson in this. But we have the full-on uh, you know, pre-suicide squad type uh, Amanda Waller, who's here to, you know, the ends justify the means type of mentality, which is not something that Gordon or Batman agree with. Uh, her head agent is a major character in this called Iman Avesta, voiced by uh, Emily O'Brien, who also voices Gamora in the Guardians of the Galaxy Telltale series. Nice. Iman um, hmm. has been suspected by many fans to be Talia in disguise, but there's no evidence whatsoever that that's happening. Uh-huh. I think mainly people thought so because of her name and at one point she speaks Farsi so they're just like oh that's Middle Eastern roots that must mean that she's Talia I'm just like there can be more than one Middle Eastern related woman in the Batman universe without <laughs> having to be Talia thank you uh, bunch of basic so, bat motherfuckers yeah, I know seriously <laughs> uh, but the agency doesn't feel like the GCPD is enough to take down the Riddler threat so this is a federal matter at the same time a familiar friend shows up to Bruce Wayne his friend from Arkham, Mr. John Doe, who you guys might remember is their version of the early version of the Joker before he's John Deasy. And yeah, John Deasy has been released from Arkham. And he doesn't really like the freedom. John he Diesel. Less confident. He keeps yeah. talking about family. And he won't shut the fuck up. We're family, Bruce. <laughs> it's been a long day without you, my friend. No, he seems less confident that the, the John Doe than the John Doe from the previous game because he's out into the world. And he had told Bruce that he was going to help him get out of Arkham in the first one in exchange for a favor. So now he's come to collect. And Bruce is wondering, what is that, fa- what is that favor, right? And Joker's like, I've got this enemy 
real piece of work, calls himself the Riddler. Huh. So this is kind of an early War of Jokes and Riddles type of thing. That was an arc in the comics around the same time where Joker and Riddler were fighting over Gotham and killing thousands and thousands of people. Uh, but there's an early version where this Joker hasn't really killed anybody yet. He's obviously unstable, but he's not homicidal yet. And your choices in this game potentially lead him into that path, and you end up creating the Joker. The Joker is the real villain of this. Yeah. Which could be why it's called mm. The Enemy Within. It's about the dark side within you. So, if you've been listening, similar to the previous episode, if you've been listening up to this point, you haven't played the second game yet. Stop listening now, play the game, and then come back, because the next half is where we explore the character stuff, all the spoilerific territory, uh, and all the deep dive material on the characters in the story. Hey everybody, it's Andrew. I just wanted to tell you about our friend Israel's retro gaming shop, RetroCo. If you go to retro-ko.com, you'll be able to see all of his retro gaming goodies. If you wanted to get that Sega Saturn hidden gem from back in the day, or if you wanted to get the Famicom disc system that you never got as a kid, or any other type of retro game that you were into, or uh, import game, please go to RetroCo.com. That's Retro-KO.com. And if you use the Superhouse code Johnson's Ballsack, you'll be able to get a little bit of a discount at checkout. So please, once again, if you could just go to RetroCo.com, you can also go to Facebook.com slash RetroCo with no hyphen. That's R-E-T-R-O-K-O. You'll be able to find him on Facebook as well. If you were looking for that PlayStation import game that you never got, if you were looking for that Mega Drive game that you never got, or any other kind of retro game, any import game, it could even be European. Israel also curates bundles at RetroCo, and he'll curate that bundle just for you. So please, go check him out. If you put in the code Johnson's Ballsack at checkout, you'll receive a Superhouse discount. And we're back! Woo! Woo! And we're back to talk about what exactly Bye. happens with the Riddler. So this is the spoiler territory of Batman the Enemy Within, where we're going to dive into the differences in canon, the characters, the story, and the potential of that, because that was interesting on its own uh, in the, in the um, just exploring that aspect of it. And there's even more shit, as I, spo- as I, not spoiled, but teased earlier about it. So how do we diverge from canon further is probably what they were thinking when they were making this. So Let's go fucking ape shit. Yes. Uh, so they've twisted around a lot of things that you didn't really, you wouldn't really expect to have come up. So some of those are characters who come up during this sort of year two-ish Batman. Because most of the time you expect, okay, it's going to be Joker, Riddler, like a lot of the major rogues gallery characters. And at some point he's going to meet Dick Grayson and who's going to become Robin. If there's anybody who's close to a future Robin in this, it's actually Tiffany Fox. Tiffany Fox is introduced. She is Lucius Fox's daughter. Oh, yeah. Voiced by uh, uh, Valerie Ray Miller. She was introduced in the comics in Batman issue number 308, created by Len Wein, uh, where she's said to be, quote-unquote, one of the prime movers in the Wayne Foundation's ghetto drug rehabilitation program. Oh, my God. Uh, 
Uh, Perhaps change then... that first letter, <laughs> first word. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, but that was, yeah, that was, she was interested in the 70s through Urban uh, development, maybe, or I don't know. There's better verbiage or whatever, better word. There's better, yes. Better word <laughs> choice. What do you expect yeah. from a white man writing about black people in the 70s? Yeah. Uh, but Tiffany would kind of show up on and off, but that was kind of the first time that they established that Lucius had kids. And in fact, he's had he has several kids in the comics who show up every now and then. Depends on the continuity. There is Tamara Fox, who uh, is like a peer and potential love interest for Tim Drake in the Red Robin comics. Uh, so that's her sister. Uh, but the most famous is Luke Fox, who becomes the hero Batwing in the New 52 and is currently helping out uh, Kate Kane in the Batwoman show on the CW. Oh, shit, he's in uh, that? Yeah, is he, it, yeah, he's basically her Lucius. Is Batwing ongoing in DC Rebirth, by the way? Or did they? is that not happen yet? You know what? That's a good question. I haven't seen him because I've mainly seen the Batman family in the Detective Comics yeah. uh, Rebirth, which is where our interviewee Alvaro Martinez Bueno yeah. uh, talked to us about. But that's like Batman, Batwoman, Tim Drake... Spoiler: Cassandra Kane and Clayface, funny enough, oh yeah, uh, yeah, are all on the same team. Mixing in some Oracle and, and Nightwing every now and then, or not really Oracle actually. I think she's she's back to being Batgirl. There's no uh, uh, there's no Superboy either in Rebirth. It's only the Super Sons or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so that's yeah. It's just they're mixing it up. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, at one point there was something called Future's End during the New 52, which was supposed to be in the Batman Beyond type of continuity, sort of. Uh, and that's where Tiffany Fox was part of the League of Batgirls. So she dressed up in the Batgirl outfit, and it was like a purple and black outfit. And Tiffany, in this game, actually wears a lot of purple. Okay. Which is potentially a reference to that. And depending on your choices, she might become a future vigilante. Uh, but anyways, she's introduced around the time that Bruce is getting Lucius's sort of input in terms of cracking the Riddler's code. The Riddler left him a clue, and he's looping in Lucius because Lucius knows more about the technology than he does. And Lucius ends up cracking the code to the point where he calls up Bruce telling him to evacuate the building because he figured out what it is, and it's not good. And he tells him, tell Tiffany, I'm sorry I wasn't around more. And then Lucius Fox blows up. So, Riddler murders Lucius Fox in this part. Things happen. uh, And... Tiffany, yeah, things happening. This is only episode one. Oh, <laughs> Tiffany is the oldest daughter. It's hinted that Luke Fox, the future Batwing, is still around, but you never see him. Um, but Lucius being dead or having been killed at some point is actually in the Batwoman show. So I don't know if they took inspiration from the Telltale on that, but I thought that was an interesting thing to add in. But Lucius is definitely dead uh, at this point, and Riddler's to blame, and Bruce wants to bring him to justice especially after what happened, and he feels guilty about it because he literally handed the death, you know, the thing that would kill him, over to him. Right. So he feels responsible, and the fact that John Doe is coming up being like, hey, like, I want your help in taking down Riddler. We can work together because he's my enemy. That becomes tempting. And Riddler at this point is is bent on destroying the city with missiles. And again, this is all episode one. Jesus. So it's like, what the fuck is going to happen in this? So... Again, this is Telltale just being like, we're going to throw everything up against the wall because the first episode of season one wasn't nearly this high stakes. It was just like, take down Falcone, and that's it. Here, you got to stop Riddler from literally blowing up the city. 
<clears throat> in certain versions, I think in no matter what you do, Iman Avesta gets like partially deaf due to uh, an injury that you get from you get from him. But just in general, Riddler's just causing a lot of shit. But he fails because you know it's fucking Batman. Uh, but Riddler partially feels like he fails because he didn't have quote unquote his friends with him. Okay. And as Batman's interrogating Riddler, a dart hits him in the neck. And Riddler starts choking, and his last words Somebody are... Somebody needs to close the windows in these buildings. <laughs> yeah, <man>. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. And his last words to Batman are, they broke the pact. And then Riddler dies. They're killing so, Riddler and Lucius Fox in the first episode. Fox in the same episode. So, again, as I said, Riddler's not the main villain of this. The main story is solve Riddler's murder and stop whatever his friends had planned. That's what's actually about, what it's mm. about. And he has to figure out, how am I going to do that? And that's where Amanda Waller comes in. And she reveals that she wanted to use Riddler, turn him, and make him go undercover. She, for, for some reason, has a question mark on her bald head. No, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, Riddler is dead, dead. There's no, like, other Riddler type of thing. This is as, as cool as that would be, because they, they only call him Eddie at one point, but there's some speculation, like, maybe there'll be, like... Maybe the Edward Nigma Riddler just hasn't shown up yet. This was like a previous Riddler, but there's no indication of that. Uh, but Amanda Waller is like, well, I was originally going to use Riddler to go undercover to this gang, uh, but instead I'm going to use you instead. And she turns to Batman and she says, you and I will be working together very closely, Bruce Wayne. No. So <sighs> she knows Bruce's secret and she's using that to blackmail him. And here's where this is the whole crux of the story. Uh, she is going to use Bruce Wayne to go undercover among the gangs. And Bruce, in this continuity, of course, is the son of Gotham's most notorious criminal. So the first game was like the godfather in discovering that he was the mobster. This game is Donnie Brasco, where mm. Bruce Wayne is undercover among henchmen. This might come and as a complete and utter shock, but <laughs> you haven't seen it. I have no. not seen <laughs> Donnie <laughs> Brasco. <laughs> oh! <laughs> That's a good. That's like the last great epic of the Godfather oh, the age. Monster. That's yeah. like. Is it three hours the first long? Post. No, it's yeah. not. Yeah, like an hour and a half. <laughs> it's an hour and a half. <laughs> really? No, it's pretty long. And maybe I not that really, long, but remember. like it's 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 an epic. It's definitely a gangster epic. It's yeah. Yeah, yeah it's more yeah. It's, great movie. It's go great on a gang, movie. It's, it's go on a gangster binge. Two and a half yeah, hours. It's a lot more emotional than uh, The Departed. Okay, which is like yeah, a similar yeah. undercover thing and not based off of like its true story. Donnie Brasco is based off a true story. For those who haven't yeah. seen it, Johnny Depp like plays me. an FBI agent. Yeah, Johnny Depp plays an FBI agent who goes undercover among the mob uh, under the name Donnie Brasco. And his mentor Donnie. slash friend is named Lefty, played by Al Pacino. And uh, he has to play around with loyalties because Lefty becomes like a good friend of his and almost like a family member. And he's... Uh, he's torn by the loyalties by that. So there's a very similar thing where uh, they took inspiration from that movie specifically for writing this video game. One of the writers, James Windelier, said, The earliest pitches were a kind of story where John Doe is lefty and Bruce is a Donnie. And we were sort of building to a point where we would use him to infiltrate a group of villains. At some point, that deception would unravel and that would be the catalyst for John to turn into the Joker. We moved away from that starting point, but from the early days in forming season two, the relationship between Bruce and John was definitely the direction. Quick side tangent: What so, movie have you guys seen yes. the most in the theater? The most in the theater? Mm -hmm. Probably Dark Knight. 
Mm, yeah, I get. I mean, I don't go. Here's the thing: I don't go to the theater that much in terms of rewatching something. Oh, okay. Well, Usually, yeah. I just wait later on. Uh, so, like, I've got Batman Begins and The Dark Knight as like the biggest ones in my memory where I went <laughs> twice, and that's what? it. What? Yeah, I saw The Dark Knight five times. Damn! And I think that's the most I've gone back to go like the same movie. I saw There's Something About Mary nine times in the theater. What? <laughs> nine. <laughs> What was that? That that high school age where you're still trying to figure out, you know, really where your sense of humor is gonna land. Okay, here's the thing. I was, I was probably like 13 or 14. <laughs> Loved comedies anyway. Was a big Dumb and Dumber fan, mm-hmm. and uh, like my dad also loved it. And I was the age where I wasn't driving myself, so mm-hmm. I think there was just nothing else in the in the theater that summer or something. So. To this day, that was the big about movie. it yeah. is. I saw it nine times. That's a great movie. And then saw it <laughs> multiple times at home. And I do believe this is the reason why I haven't seen very many movies from the nineties or before. Because because <laughs> you were watching something about Mary the whole I, I yes, saw exactly. in Dumb and Dumber and Happy Gilmore like nineties comedies over and over and over and over, dude. So now I feel like I missed the boat. I'm looking back now at 35 years old. I've missed a fucking boat on all these fucking movies. <laughs> I watched The Big Lebowski quite a bit, like outside of theaters on DVD. One summer I watched it every day. I don't know what was. <laughs> Damn. I watched it every day. I was working on this set at SCAD and we were going in uh, like 8 a.m every or 7 a.m. every morning and getting all like 16 hour days on this fucking I'm going to end this tangent soon Ben but <laughs> but just to wrap that up I I Anyways, everybody sorry, yeah. from the south as far as I know the in the south eastern united states Oh brother where art thou is way more popular than the big lebowski I didn't know the big lebowski was even that popular until I got to college well and our co- one of them predates the other by like 6 years or and some our, shit our college was 90% out of state or some shit like that. So that, I met a lot of people from out of state finally in my young years. So I was like, why is Big Lebowski so big? I mean, I think it, I think <laughs> it's funny, but I'm still no brother person myself. But It's not better than O Brother, that's for sure, yeah. yeah. And O Brother's newer. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, Big it's Lebowski is good. LA film school, but anyway, yeah, like top movie, the Big Lebowski. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that was it. I don't even think it's particularly like one of their greatest. It's kitschy. I like it, but for just for some reason, that was like I couldn't think of to watch anything else. Yeah. I just kept watching it over again. I dated this girl one time, and she watched The Matrix every time we hung out. She sounds <laughs> every sounds time cool. we went over there. She was actually really cool. <laughs> That's cool, though. Shit. I fucked that one I up. saw Dark Knight four times and oh, Avengers well. four times, and those are the runners-up. And that's it. Back to Ben. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> this is uh, Don. Check out Donnie Brasco. I actually didn't see it until, like, a couple of years ago when it was on, like, Hulu or something. But uh, it's a great movie. But it was the inspiration for this, which is interesting because it's, it's rare for us to see so much of Bruce Wayne or Batman undercover. Usually it's as matches Malone or something, but literally this is as Bruce. Uh, there's no disguises or anything because he doesn't need it because, remember, his, his dad was the most notorious mobster in all of Gotham. So his way in is through John Doe. And so he finds John at a bar, and John is apparently making keeping himself occupied by becoming sort of a guidance counselor to other former Arkham inmates. Uh, including this guy named Willie, uh, who will come back a little later. But uh, Bruce asks him about what he knows about the Riddler situation because 
Riddler was killed, and the last time that they talked, John Doe was talking about how much he hated him. So John's like, you really think I'd be capable of murder? Sort of wink, wink. I, there's a lot of these ironic lines that he has where you just, you know he's the Joker, but in the context of the story, with the characters, it makes sense. Um, but Joker brings up that he, you know, had wanted Bruce to help him out to be part of this gang that is called the Pact, that those are the friends that Riddler was talking about earlier. And the main reason why John is part of this is partially because he's bored post-Arkham, but also because he's in love with the Pact's leader, Harley Quinn. Oh, shit. So this is where we switch the dynamic. Harley Quinn is a former Arkham doctor who has become a mob ganglinger, gang leader, uh, put herself in clown makeup, is out there killing people with a large mallet and is in charge of this gang and John Doe is the lovesick one who would do anything for her Whoa. so they again this is where I'm like Telltale has just been like fuck Hannon we're just twisting everything <laughs> right now. Um, she's voiced by Laura Post and this is definitely the most threatening Harley Quinn ever she she still does it the whole pudding thing she still has like the, the Jersey New York accent but it's it's an undercurrent of menace that you don't quite see because like especially in the Arlene Sorkin Betas version it was always like oh she was kind of goofy you never really thought she was threatening here she automatically puts like a gun to, to Bruce's head and almost blows his brains out unless you talk her out of it what? and then she's like I'm just kidding it wasn't loaded and then she accidentally shoots it <laughs> and she's like never mind uh, but yeah she is in charge of the pact now who consists of the pact one of the members is of course Bane and Bane is voiced by J.B. Blanc who also voiced Bane in Arkham Origins um so that's another Arkham connection. He voiced Alfred in Beware the Batman and voiced uh, Penguin in the Lego Batman 3. Again, another Lego Batman video game voice alum. Uh, and for anybody who is a fan of the Jim Caviezel version of The Count of Monte Cristo, J.P. Blanc played Luigi Vampa in that, who's the sort of pirate or gang leader who ends up helping him out throughout. Oh, he worked with Luis Guzman. Yeah, yeah, he's the one who almost killed him. I have seen <laughs> yeah. that. That movie is honestly fucking great, isn't it? Oh, it, it is, but uh, when I read the book, I almost am afraid to go back to that now because of how different the book is and how much richer it feels. Uh, but I that's because the book is like a thousand pages, so I'm like, of course they couldn't fit this in two hours. So people, like, I, I've seen like Mattson, what's his name, Mattson Tomlin, Matt Tomlin? Yeah. He's talked mm -hmm. about it on his Twitter, Goyer's brought it up, of course he wants to remake it. Like, that movie has yeah. like kind of low-key been sort of uh, like impactful, had an influence even today. Mm -hmm. You know, because no, it's, I mean, it's made it, it well. Had a great cast. Yeah, yeah, it had a great cast. It's a great revenge movie. It's not necessarily true to the original thing, but if you ignore that, or like I did at the time, because I was young and hadn't read the one thousand pages of the Dumas tome, yeah, it's it's a great thing to. It's a great entertaining and well done movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, J.B. Blanc. What that I was like my when he experience. dodges the droplets when he gets fast and he's like, hoo, ha, hoo, ha. <laughs> 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 I've been doing it like, for years now, and I'm pretty much <laughs> the greatest swordsman that has ever lived. Hell yeah, of brother. <laughs> people, are, it's funny, people are referencing that, uh, just on the tangent of Count of Monte Cristo, people are referencing that in terms of just like, oh, like I'm learning the blade and stuff, just like in the movie, The Count of Monte yeah, Cristo. I actually really like it. That movie's rocks. Yeah. That put Jim Caviezel into my brain pan. Yes. <laughs> Sizzled him up. up. Scrambled With Jim. A young Henry Cavill as uh, Albert oh, yeah. de Morcef. Yeah, yes. Do your worst. When he was like 17. He yes. said, do your worst. 
Yeah, <laughs> he obviously is not uh, as badass as he was in like Superman or The Witcher and stuff, but or Immortals. You know, Remember that movie? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Dude, by the way, fucking Henry Cavill. Immortals fucking Henry rules. Henry Cavill is whiling away the hours painting Warhammer figurines during quarantine. <laughs> he <laughs> nice. he truly is king of the nerds. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> But it's funny. I was pointing out. It's funny to me how people point out the movie with the whole like sword fighting thing because there's actually very little fencing in the actual novel. There is one fight with fencing in the novel, and it has nothing to do with Edmond Dantes. Oh, so <laughs> that's definitely something that the movie added. But it is interesting that it's associated with that because of like Hollywood's like, well, you know, it's set during that time of you know all the other swashbuckling type shit. So we need to add that in. But it's actually not in the original story. I still think we're we're we've yet to see the John Wick of fencing. You know what I mean? Like a, just an incredible fencing scene. It's called a Princess Bride, my dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's the greatest swashbuckler that there ever were. Hey man, I buckled I all say, my swashes, and I still yeah. think that we got. But I could use I could use yeah I could use some some good sword fighting in my life these days. They in in to, that in that term, if, yeah, rapiers and whatnot. Yeah, if they reboot Zorro, that's the time to do it. Yeah, for sure. Zorro, yeah, for sure. Three Musketeers, yeah. do a yeah. like a super multicultural Three Musketeers, and mm-hmm. let's just have at it. Let's get the people who made Bumblebee or something. Let's go. Let's do this. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> we'll we'll brainstorm that after the the episode. But yes, this is these are classic <laughs> stories that reserve that deserve some updating. But anyway, uh, so Bane's part of this, voiced by the guy from the Counter That's how we got on this. Yeah, uh, and then the other member of this is Mr. Freeze. So Mr. Freeze Whoa. is in this shit. Yeah. Uh, shit. Mr. Freeze is voiced by Matthew Mercer, who was the Tim Drake Robin in Arkham Knight, taking over nice. from, of course, Troy Baker. Yeah. Um, oh, big was, TV. Yeah, and then he was also Anarchy in Arkham Origins. Uh, Anarchy in the comics is the son of the Joker, who in Arkham Origins was also voiced by Troy Baker. So again, this is like a very incestuous, yeah, incestuous type of um, casting going on here. But this Mr. Freeze is a little different in the fact that he um, uses his hands or gloves for freezing. He doesn't actually have the freeze gun. Oh, he's got actual powers? To, uh, it's mm. not necessarily powers. It's still part of the suit. It just comes out of his hands as opposed to um, a physical gun. Shit, why wouldn't you? Uh, Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's similar to the, the they did that I think first in the 2004 animated show The Batman, where he was voiced by Clancy Brown. Oh, nice. Uh, where it was part of his hands, uh, but I guess it makes him more deadly because Batman can't just knock out the freeze gun out of his hand <laughs> with a battering. <laughs> He's got to actually like subdue him. But yeah, so that's the pact led by this. This is this is why it's wild is because Harley Quinn is bossing around Bane and Mister Freeze and Joker before he's even Joker, as well as Bruce Wayne. And as Bruce Wayne, you have to fit in, but you also try to abide by being, you know, the hero. So you try to stop criminals from killing people without giving away too much because you don't want to cross that line or don't want to see innocents get killed. But you also don't want to give away your cover. At the same time, Bruce Wayne being a criminal creates some complications with you as a vigilante because at some point Gordon is just like I'm suspicious of what's going on with Bruce Wayne Batman I need you to bring him in so you're like well what the fuck do I do now uh but uh the person who's your biggest supporter in this because Gordon's getting suspicious of you Amanda Waller's bossing you around Alfred is even questioning you your biggest supporter throughout this entire thing who sticks by you through thick and thin is John Doe hell yeah 
Yeah. So John at <laughs> one point. Yeah. John at one point when Bane wants to kill you, he deliberately um, fucks something up that he knows Bruce can fix so that Bruce can prove himself to the rest of the gang. And then, you know, he's like, you see how I did that? You know, you and me, we got to stick together. Uh, and at one point, he's like, Bruce is my best friend. He'd never betray me. So, like, he's so, like, it's so unnerving to be around him, but he's also so innocent. He's almost endearing in a way. Um, he, like, what, he likes taking selfies with you huh. at one point um, to break in somewhere. He pulls out a crowbar, and you're like, oh, shit, because you're thinking death of the family. But he just starts swinging it wildly, and he's just not very effective with it at all so um part of it is just you feeling like how is this guy going to become the joker uh director ken moodle funny name uh directed this but he said it was very important for john doe to come off as a very likable and for the player to invest in his well-being for the big choices to work this was achieved largely by having the Joker always be pro-Bruce. Always your friend no matter what happened, until he wasn't. Having a proto-Joker instead of a fully formed one also gave us a ton of ground that we could cover with his character arc, which allowed us to deliver on that old Batman trope that he creates his own enemies. <laughs> um, at one point, John ends up meeting Batman, and uh, he wants to take a selfie with Batman, and you have a choice of whether or not to destroy his phone. <laughs> and I was like, don't destroy his phone. Do you know what you're creating? Is what I was thinking. Uh, but uh, John, at one point, wants to learn from Batman. And you can either indulge him or deny him, but if you do indulge him, you can teach him how to throw a battering. Oh shit! Uh, and he's all excited because he wants to help. He wants to help Batman now, and he uh, he promises you that he will throw the battering a hundred times a day so that he gets good at it. And depending on your choices, at one point he does actually end up using it. Does he help him make uh, uh, pottery like Batman standing behind him, and then they got the pottery wheel going, and then Batman's just grabbing his fucking hands, and they're just making a pottery wheel like a fucking pot um, together, like in Ghost. You know what I'm saying? I'm afraid that was cut. <laughs> I'm afraid that was cut from the game episode three. Uh, people were pulling for it. Oh man, I wanted that shit, dude. But uh, <laughs> that does lead me into saying that there are um, shippers. Of Bruce and this version of Joker. Hell yeah. I think it's called Bat Jokes or something like that. Uh, of wanting them to get together. Because there's some things where John says stuff that can be interpreted either as like, oh, he's just really attached to Bruce or he's in love with Bruce. I mean, that would be Whoa. incredible, really. I mean, yeah. yes, that would, that would <laughs> obviously add some more dra dramatic weight to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, so he, he does flat out say... They do actually flat out say um, later on when he's the Joker, like I loved you, or you, you know, if you ever loved me, you would realize this or something like that. My Joker Which ain't gay. Red both day. <laughs> he ain't no, he ain't <laughs> no homosexual now. That ain't funny. Hey, that ain't funny. Hey, <laughs> my Joker say Saul Romero would never kiss another man. He might shotgun a beer too, but he ain't kissing no dude. Well, remember he's also in love with Harley Quinn, so he'd technically be bi. He's a bisexual. Nice. <laughs> bisexual. But, now those guys so, I can get down with. I mean, those guys are cool. Ever since Joe Exotic, I've had more acceptance in my heart towards those that are hom hom homosexual themselves. Have you ever met? Have you ever met somebody who can land a lot of trick shots and billiards? 
Those are bisexuals. <laughs> Man, you know, Joe Exotic, he's gay, Good but people. he carries a gun. He's got a gator and a tiger as well. You know what I'm saying? He's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, tiger nice representation, tell. Telltale. That's how, yes. That's how. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a possibility. Yeah, it's a possibility, but... Uh, Oh, so the bad guy is gay, huh? Well, he's not. Gay. <laughs> yeah. You can't win. You can't win. Yeah. Uh, but what what are these guys for? What was the big plan in all this? That's kind of what Bruce is trying to figure out. And so we, uh, as Batman investigates, we find out that the agency, before Waller took over, the agency dabbled in biological warfare, and Harley Quinn wants what they created. In short, now this is going to be very timely, Harley Quinn is trying to steal and release a virus. What? Yep. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, oh, and the reason why Riddler was That's why was they went involved. out of business, man, because they fucking yeah. uh, Wuhan saw <laughs> They them. knew they were <laughs> trying to warn us, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> they were early whistleblowers. <laughs> Telltale Games was an early I should have played them when I bought the season pass. <laughs> I would have known. Shit. Yeah. I could have done something. I could have been something with my life. could have done something with my life. I could have been a contender. Amanda Waller at one point is just like, if you don't go in with those maniacs, we're going to have a pandemic on our hands. And I was listening to that, and I was like, you're too late, Waller. The <laughs> like, pandemic response happened. team was broken up in 2016, but that's another story, yes. isn't it? <laughs> yes. That'd be a, did, did the Suicide <laughs> the Squad have any contagion storylines? Because that'd be a good job to send in the fucking Expendables, basically. Uh, they probably did. I'm not that big on. Uh, yeah. I, I haven't read a lot of the Suicide Squad type stuff, yeah, yeah, but yeah. there is a there is a part where uh, Waller kind of wants Bruce to let the Pact he, gang take care of it because she says, okay. "quote unquote." Sometimes you have to have bad people do good things. He, yeah, that's a very Amanda Waller thing to say. Amanda Waller, thanks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I was just trying to get some coffee here at the break room. But, well, thank you. And erase that goddamn question mark from your head. Just gonna go back to my office and not think about you know reporting you to the higher ups. But whatever. <laughs> so okay, so but then why do they want the virus? So here's the thing. Uh, Riddler was he wasn't patient zero, but he was exposed to the virus years ago, and he was the only one who survived. Um, and he was sort of cured of whatever ailments or illnesses he previously had, thanks to the virus. It's so it sort of has healing capabilities. Harley wants them, wants this. The entire gang wants it because each person has a medical problem that they need solving. So Harley's father killed himself years ago due to a mental illness, and Harley doesn't want to inherit it. So that's why she wants the virus. Mr. Freeze wants the virus because he wants to synthesize the antibodies in order to cure his wife, Nora. Bane wants to use it to perfect his venom serum. So like everybody actually has like a hidden motivation. That's why they selected these characters for this gang. Uh, and that's their motivation in going for it. And Bruce has to stop him, stop them either as Bruce or as Batman, depending on what choices you end up making at the end of one of the episodes. Uh, but she, you find out later that Waller isn't just being like, oh, we need to stop the pandemic or whatever. She actually wants to use the virus as leverage to make the pact work for her into her own little suicide squad of course uh so this gets a little complicated in here but we have bruce wayne doing donnie brasco stuff the suicide squad being formed early versions of mr freeze bane and and harley and all that uh but the crux of the story is still on joker and bruce or john and bruce as we find um so at one point, Harley makes off with a virus, and the only person who might know where she is is John Doe. 
and Bruce tracks him down at like this abandoned carnival type setting. And when he finds him, John is the only one alive in a room full of dead bodies. And he's naked. And he's naked. No, he's <laughs> uh, <laughs> His dick's and the only thing the that's white and green yeah. so far. <laughs> <laughs> and John claims he killed in self-defense. And Bruce is like, well, that doesn't add up. Somebody has a bullet wound in their back. And John's like, well, something took hold of me. Something dark and vicious and desperate for survival. The, and then the he starts entity like laughing Ted a little bit. <laughs> yeah. He starts laughing a bit, little bit. And Bruce is like, you think this is funny? And John's like, oh, sorry, I always laugh when I'm nervous. Which is <laughs> pre-Joaquin Joker type stuff. I don't know if this was an inspiration, but it's certainly uh, similar enough. Uh, but as Bruce questions him, John's like, you know, you're supposed to be on my side. What you know, and then he starts being very real with Bruce, bringing up like you know, you're supposed to be on my side. I guess I'm an idiot for expecting that, aren't I? Whatever this is between us, it's off balance. The goodwill only flows one way, and it isn't towards me. You've been using me from the start. At least have the decency to admit it. And he sort of lunges at Bruce, and Bruce pushes him away. And John says, "I know you can fight better than that." Or do you really need your bat suit to get you in the mood? <laughs> so, John has figured out that Bruce is Batman. Is everybody in this fucking in game figuring it out? Pretty it's much everyone in this secret. game has figured it out. <laughs> the, yeah, it is the worst kept secret at this point. Because everyone, <laughs> everyone except for Harvey and Penguin figured it out in the last one. Uh, but in this one, I think pretty much everyone except for the members of the pact know it. But Amanda Waller knows it. Her agents kind of know it. Uh, and John Doe now reveals that he knows it. And he's not planning to blackmail him. He's just try, trying to show, like, hey, I know you better than you think that, than you think I do. And I'm hoping that you can believe me when I say that I killed in self-defense and we can work together in, uh, you know, stopping Harley and stopping this virus. And he's like, you know, you still have faith in me, don't you, your old buddy John? And that's when you get two choices pop up on the screen. Either John's lying to you or he's telling you the truth. Whichever one you pick changes everything from the end of episode four to the entire episode five. So that's a huge choice that you make because okay, you can be cool. playing a completely different game after that. That's cool. Uh, yeah, mm. big big story branching. Yeah. So this is I know earlier just like there wasn't a lot of story branching earlier. This is the biggest story branch. This is probably the biggest risk that they took because I think this is the first time and probably the only time where they created their own like two separate games for the final episode. That's cool. There's barely, there's like maybe two scenes that are the same in each version of the game. Um, but it gives you a completely different origin of how jo John Doe becomes the Joker. So one of the writers, uh, James Windelier, again says, It really came out to the story we wanted to tell. We knew we were always going to create a Joker in this series, but we wanted to give the player an opportunity to have control over what the Joker would look like. So it called for an extremely branched episode. We were lucky in the sense that the resources of the studio were available to us for us to make it. It was lucky timing in some ways. Because they probably didn't have the opportunity to do this before. And again, if they probably thought the writing was on the wall, the previous Telltale series wasn't doing well, the company wasn't doing well, they were just like, fuck it. If we can do it, then let's just do it. And at least make some, like, take advantage of this risk that we're taking. So, you have two choices. One of them is the kind of more traditional route, which is... You've seen John's killed people, you don't believe him, and you tell him that you don't believe him. So he feels betrayed, 
and it goes off to help Harley. Uh, and Harley's got like this dead man switch where she's holding this entire bridge hostage because she wants a copy of the virus and Riddler's blood and everything like that in order to find the cure. Joker crashes through it with a giant truck and he tells her, I need you like a joke needs a punchline. And he takes over the dead man's switch. And that's kind of like the passing of the torch from one clown lunatic to the new one. And he confronts Batman and he says uh, about how Batman talks about how he's all about justice. But he's like, you say you're all about justice. Justice is a joke. You tell me what's just about my life. I lost half of it to an asylum, to a sickness I couldn't control. But now I'm in control. And he kisses Harley and blows up the bridge. And the, the lipstick on Harley's lips makes his lips red. And now he looks like the regular Joker. Oh, shit. And he laughs, and it goes off of her. And that's where we branch into the final episode where John Doe is now the Joker out to kill. Well, not really kill you, but he's out to, at some point, release the virus, but mostly to destroy your life. Question, what does what do the two Jokers look like? I know I could Google it, but just for the audience's sake. Like, you say okay, two so, different versions, right? Yeah, so this original version, the, the this is called Villain. If you take the villain route, then he's basically in the purple suit okay. the whole time. Like, he's gone full Joker. Classic. Yeah, classic, except this is a Joker who knows that Bruce Wayne and Batman are the same guy. Okay. So, he doesn't just show up to terrorize Gotham. He also crashes Wayne Enterprises at some point uh, and kills everyone in the board meeting. And he tells him, You thought Riddler was bad? Penguin? Lady Arkham? None of them knew you like I do. So, he invites Bruce, basically being like, You weren't my best friend, but I want you to be my best enemy. And... That's kind of the, the switch over here, and it's Bruce still is kind of going back and forth. I'm like, can I actually turn him back? But overall, Joker is out to sort of destroy all of your relationships. So Gordon, Selena, Tiffany Fox, Alfred, he's trying to set them up in ways where they have to betray him. Okay. Uh, and his big justification of this is, well, you are, you are a killer, Bruce. You murdered John Doe, and you've turned me into this. Um, and he pretty much tells him, You can't beat me, Bruce. You need me. I'm the villain of your dreams. It's kind of a, a creepy way to do it, but you fight him at Ace Chemicals uh, as Bruce Wayne, not as Batman That's cool. in this mm. version, which is really cool, but Ace Chemicals that in cool. the final episode is kind of like a metaphorical birth of the Joker. As okay, opposed to you. usually no, that's, it's that's, like... That's really you know, well written then. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So usually the Red yeah. Hood falls into the Very chemicals that cool. Ace Chemicals becomes the Joker. Here, he's already got the, the white skin. Um, yeah, so Joker already has the green hair and, and the white skin, and now he's got the red lips, probably because he's putting on lipstick. But uh, you don't need to explain how he got all that. You've only, you've, only using, um, you've only using Ace Chemicals to establish how he became the enemy of Bruce and the Joker, of uh, Bruce or Batman in this. So that's if you do the villain version. The more interesting one that I like, that I prefer, that is probably my favorite version, is when you actually choose to believe John and actually want him to be your friend. Okay. So episode four ends up very differently where uh, he helps the agency stop Harley Quinn. He actually tells her, Bruce showed me how to be good, Harley. 
in a way you never could. Um, and Amanda Waller uh, says, okay, thanks, John. Give me the virus, because Harley had the virus. Uh, and John refuses to give it to her, because he doesn't trust Amanda Waller. And Amanda Waller, being who she is, decides that, you know what, that means that we got to kill John Doe then. And John starts wrecking havoc among the agency, being like, You're supposed to stand for justice? Batman and I? We're going to bring you all to justice. And he dives off the bridge. So it's a very different way out, because he's not out to destroy Batman. He's only out to destroy the agency. And at the beginning of episode five, this time, Batman's fighting the agency, uh, and he's outnumbered when a boomerang with a painted-on smile hits them. And a grappling gun, where instead of a grappling hook, it's got shattering teeth okay. on the end. <laughs> and smoke bombs have, like, smiley... Like, he has all the bat gadgets. And John arrives, but he's in a purple coat. He's got black around his eyes, kind of like the Heath Ledger Joker. And he's got... Uh, he's styled his hair so that there's, like, two points to the top, kind of like Batman's hair. <laughs> and he insists, there is no John Doe now. It's Joker now. It's my hero name. And he wants to fight crime with Batman. So this version is called Vigilante, where he wants to fight crime with Batman. And this is my favorite one because it's so fucking twisted. You know that that's going to be your enemy, but he actually wants to help you the whole time. And he still worships you <laughs> during this whole time. Um, you guys end up fighting Bane together. Bane shows up, and at one point he has like the mask from like The Dark Knight Rises uh, on top of the luchador-looking mask. So it's like a mix of both. Um, and in here, you and John have, like, you even put him in the Batmobile at one point, and he's, like, all excited. But he is still devoted to you, but the main difference of opinion is how to deal with Waller. Waller uh, wants the virus back, even though, uh, yeah, John took it hostage, but she wants it back, and John doesn't want to give it to her. And if anything, he wants to kill Waller for all the terrorizing that she's done in Gotham City. And it's comes to a point where Batman wants to protect her and John doesn't want that. And that, of course, leads to confrontation at Ace Chemicals where he has her hostage. And he tells Batman, If there's one thing I learned by watching you, violence solves a lot of problems. And so uh, he is trying to kill Waller. Batman stops him. And Joker realizes that everything that Bruce has been teaching him Everything that he thought he could believe in is a lie because Bruce won't even stand up for him or support him in this whole thing with Waller. So he ends up slaughtering a bunch of Waller's agents, and that's when Batman tries to reach out to him and say, John, and John starts laughing with blood all over his face, and he says, It's Joker. <laughs> And now he's the real, now he's the full-on Joker. But that's, I think that's a more creative way to get him to become the Joker. It's a slower build. Uh, and it does end with a choice that you have where uh, you get to tell him whether or not you always felt like you were his friend or if you tell him that, oh, no, you were never my friend. And either way, it's set up that he is going to make your life a living fucking hell, no matter what version that you pick. It's just two very different versions of the origin. Same Stitch is the name of that episode. So yeah, there were five episodes. The Enigma, The Pact, Fractured Mask, What Ails You, and Same Stitch, which is the last one. Oh, so it's like a half season almost. The first one's like, what, eight, ten episodes? 
No, it, it was five episodes. Oh, it's five. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah, it was five. Okay, so. Uh, but this one's more notable in the fact that the the last one, like you were, you're playing a completely different game depending on what choice you made at the end of the fourth one. Yeah, I I know it'd be mm-hmm. absolute hell for the writers, but I think that's really the best way to to make mm-hmm. uh, a a quick time event. Uh, what do you call it? Like a story branching game like this, like mm-hmm. just to ha- just to make it feel more like you're in control of a character. And mm-hmm. and plus with you know with the internet you have like everybody sharing like their personal journey, their own story, and they're choosing in their own choose your own adventure uh, right. tale. So I think I don't know. I think that it definitely would be like a shitload more work, but that's really like the way to go if they if they do this again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think the a lot of the, the people like showing like here's the choice I made or that or whatever. Like I didn't mention this in the last one, but in the credits of each episode, you get to see like comparisons of your choices versus other people who played the game. Yeah, in terms of just like fifty percent of people chose this choice instead of you, uh, instead of the one that you you picked. Um, one of the choices, yeah, as I said, one of the choices at the end is whether or not to tell Joker that you did care for him uh, or not. So right. in one way, if you do, then he's just like, you know, you are one messed up guy is what he tells him if you actually say, yeah, you were my friend. But the other more cold-hearted version is when, as Batman, you're just like, we were never friends. You're a criminal. You were a means to an end. And you see, like, the heartbreak on John's face. Like Ralph Wiggum. <laughs> yeah, like that. It is. It is pretty much like that. Um, You're superstitious and, it, and cowardly. <laughs> <laughs> and then Joker's like, "That's all right. I learn from my mistakes. Enemies, it is." And then on the top corner, it says, "Joker will never forget that." So it's pretty much oh, solidified. Nice. I like that. No matter what you choose, yeah. No matter. I kind of like that. Just for final lines, even though I personally probably would have picked the other one. Uh, it depends on just how much you hate John, but you can either be a complete asshole to him or you can be nice to him, but no matter what, he becomes some version of the Joker. Um, another thing that I like, though, is that, remember when I said that John was giving guidance counseling to former Arkham inmates? No matter which one you pick, those people that he guided through become his followers, which explains how Joker has henchmen, which is something that I always wondered about because I'm just like, Joker's known for killing his own henchmen and killing everybody. How the hell would he get people to work for him? Yeah, It's explained in this one that, like, oh, they have loyalty to him because he helped them out after Arkham Asylum. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So that's a cool idea. But uh, it does end on a final cliffhanger where there are a lot of different choices you can make that could lead into completely different games if there had been a season three. Uh, one of the, so there can be things where Tiffany either becomes part of Amanda Waller's agency or she becomes your crime-fighting sidekick or she's on the run because uh, Batman's going after her for other things that she's done in this game. Um, or uh, Alfred, at the end, is kind of... He feels that Bruce has gone too far as Batman and he says that he's going to leave. And you can either choose to let him leave and be Batman or you can quit being Batman so Alfred can stay. But no matter what choice you make, I'm sure whatever plans they had for season three, if any, like it would have been two completely different first episodes. Bruce definitely learns that being Batman basically makes it impossible to be happy. He cannot continue to be Batman and Bruce if he sticks to the cowl. He abandons his only real family in the form of Alfred 
We wanted to take a sobering and realistic look at what a lifestyle like Bruce's would actually do to a person's life and relationships. And the game's thesis is that it's ultimately destructive. As long as Bruce continues to bear the burden of the bat, he can't also maintain a healthy lifestyle. <laughs> All I gotta say is mm. now that Telltale's gone, I think that... Yeah. It's a perfect time for Rocksteady to steal all of that shit and incorporate it <laughs> to make the perfect Batman game. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Especially for the In VR. One. Yes. <laughs> oh, VR, that's a whole other... I don't know, man. It's a whole other deep Tamale. That would be, it would be cool to be walking the streets of Gotham in a fucking uh, in VR, though. That, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. That is for yeah. sure. Yeah, that'd be great. Or swinging around, gliding. Yeah, for sure. Actually, yeah. That would be dope. Also, Court of Elves is be... teed up to be on um, PS5, man. So who knows how that shit's going to look. It's probably going to be incredible looking. What? I will say the second season of this does look better than the first season, just in terms of the graphics and the animation. Oh, uh, yeah. It actually looks a lot better. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know what they updated there. I couldn't find any information on that. Uh, but they did. Uh, it did look like an improvement visually. Uh, on top of the writing-wise, writing-wise, I do actually prefer the story of the first game. Okay. But I like the character work of this one. Yeah. Um, I just feel like there might have been too many ideas at once for five episodes here. Because we've got Riddler blowing shit up, then there's a virus, then there's Harley Quinn and the early Suicide Squad and the Joker origin and Amanda Waller and Gordon going out. Like, there's so much shit going on. I'm like, eh, like... We could have explored that a little more on one of them, but I get maybe they were throwing a lot of stuff all at once because they didn't know if they were going to get a third season, and they still haven't. Uh, but uh, this did win a lot of or get nominated for a bunch of awards. Um, I don't think I really covered any awards from the previous season, uh, but this won award for Best Supporting Performance by Deborah Wilson, who was uh, Amanda Waller, and that was for the annual National Academy of Video Game Trade Reviewers Awards uh, it also was nominated for uh, Best Game for Franchise Adventure. Uh, it was also nominated by the Writers Guild of America oh, shit. in 2018 that's cool. for, out- for Outstanding Achievement in Video Game Writing. So that's cool. And that was specifically Episode 5, which is the big one because it's, it's it's your version of the Joker of the Joker origin. Um, that that is then, cool. This game, it's yeah. all about the writing. So, yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. And it was, again, nominated for the National Academy of Video Game Trade Reviewers Award for writing in uh, drama as well in the 18th uh, annual version. Uh, the writers for this were, the leads were Ross Beely, Patrick Day, Luke McMullen, Megan Thornton, and James Windelier, who's the one that I uh, had some quotes from. Uh, and then they were assisted by Shannon Inglace, who was part of the first season, uh, Lauren R. Me, and Josh R. Trujillo. So those are all the writers in it. And uh, unfortunately, as we've covered before, Telltale closed in 2018 due to being bankrupt. But that was not the end of the Telltale games because a new one was formed in 2019 by LCG Entertainment. And that's when they released Telltale Batman Shadows Edition. Oh, shit. (laughs) So this is not this third season. This is actually a re-release of Telltale, but with a different filter. It's a noir-like filter where uh, they, it's mostly in black and white, but with selective colors. So in the first season, uh, when Harvey gets scarred, if you make the choice to save Catwoman instead of Harvey Dent, when Harvey gets scarred by Penguin, everything is black and white except for the red of his uh, uh, scarred side. So it's like a Sin City type of vibe. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a Sin City type of version, and you can get both games like that uh, as of 2019. That's pretty cool. So, uh, let's see. Oh, DLC was released on December 17th, 2019 for Windows and Xbox One users with other platforms to follow. Uh, but uh, Telltale has technically been restarted again by LCG Entertainment, but there has been no reports about any sort of Batman Season 3 game in the works. They should at least get a mobile version like Wolfie said. I think that's a good idea for that, ty- mm-hmm. for that type of gameplay. That's cool. Yeah. Especially because, yeah. like... You're dealing with it was such a big cliffhanger and like what do you do with the whole Alfred situation and what type of Joker are you fighting and like what happens with Tiffany Fox like all those things they're all going to lead to like what they started with this branching stuff at the end that that would have to continue and on laser disc playing... I need this game on laser disc of course yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly that would be incredible so... actually man <laughs> they. Uh... It's what they did here was throw everything against the wall, as I said. But also, like season three, you could be playing a completely different season three than someone else who picked a different choice. Um, so I think that would be the most exciting thing: is be like you don't know what game you're going to get. Yes, somebody yeah, else might have spoiled it. Amp up yeah. the choose your own adventure uh, angle on the whole thing. Oh that, yeah, that's what interests me the most. Is like how mm-hmm. do my choices affect these? Yeah, in you, you in terms of where literally your any, are, yeah. any story, any franchise, any I don't know. Yeah, because it's like somebody's going to be playing a game of trying to get Alfred back. Another one's going to be playing the game of, you know, do you step into the cowl again, even though yeah. Alfred's around? Like I, I don't know Brilliant. which choice would you pick. It's it's a dilemma, but that's what makes it so cool. You grow old as Bruce Wayne and. Just fucking <laughs> hire watch a the kid. city turn to fucking ashes from your fucking. Or life. even <laughs> storylines where you're where you're helping tr- create the Bat Family and things. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. Let's see. Uh, one other trivia thing I forgot is Harvey Bullock is in this one. Uh, he is voiced by Keith Sarabica, who we saw and kind of made fun of in The Dark Knight. He was the cop who is in the interrogation room who decides to beat up Joker. And ends up having oh, the really? tables turned on him with the broken glass at his, at his neck. So funny enough, people at the time thought that his character was like Bullock, and uh, that same actor now voices Bullock in the Telltale continuity. So I thought that was that's cool. cool. Uh, but yeah, that is Telltale season two. But once again, that is not the end of the Telltale continuity. There was one more thing, which is the comic. Uh, DC licensed a comic, or Telltale licensed it, uh, to have a DC comic th- of a story that's set in between Game 1 and Game 2. But we'll just save that for another, its own mini-episode. Hmm. Indeed. Indeed. Is that it? Uh, that's it on my end. What did you guys think of what you've heard of Batman the Enemy Within? Wolfie, you go first. Yeah, it sounded cool. I uh, I didn't even know there was a season two until you mentioned it. I thought there was only like one season, and I was like, man, that's cool, and I have the inside edge. But no, seems like there's like probably a lot of really interesting stuff to go through in that second one. Might even mm-hmm. try it on mobile and and you know figure you know talk about that at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm enjoying. I think like I said in the beginning, the the gameplay is like. It wouldn't be really that great if the story wasn't this good. The, the story is just so mm-hmm. good, you, you really do want to see what yeah. what happens. The next. Walking Dead was really good too. Like as as uh, gamers, oh, go ahead, Wolfie. The Walking Dead was really good too, and there's just there's a lot you can do by taking simple mechanics to enhance things like atmosphere and stuff, or just you know the storytelling, like what Andrew's saying. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I like. I think that anybody that plays games, especially as long as as we have, I feel like we've played a lot of games with great gameplay, but a lot of game story just not that good. <laughs> like you're not really like I just beat Doom Eternal. It was, yeah, it's never a big yeah. Like Doom et- emphasis of Doom has like it's okay story like a bare bones like you're in hell blasting zombies and shit, but it's like. The gameplay is so good that you kind of give it a pass. There's a bunch of games like that. I'd say more than most. Mm, yeah. So, but this is like a little switch where, like, I don't know. I've, I've said it before, but um, story is so good you kind of give it a pass. And I, um, I definitely want to finish it. I want to see where it goes. And now, like, I know a lot of the spoiler stuff. I'm definitely gonna just give Vicky Vale the cold shoulder and um, <laughs> try to fall in love with Joker. I don't know. Like, we'll see what happens. <laughs> You might unlock a uh, different same stitch episode five than everyone else got. Yeah, we'll see, man. But and then it, it is <laughs> that stream would turn into our biggest hit on YouTube. Yeah, it would. Oh man, the Bruce and John story. Yes, if you search Yowie, the love story. If you search Batman and Superman, you find a lot of the movie stuff. By the way, on Google Images, but if you if you Google image search Bruce and Clark, it's a whole different ball game. I challenge <laughs> I challenge all of our listeners to Google image search that. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, yeah, this was uh, an idea formulated a few months ago by, uh, I think, mainly Ben and me uh, to do a deep dive into the Batman video games. Thank you, Ben, for taking on the latter half of this. Um, It's been a lot of fun doing the video game stuff. Um, Wolfie and I mainly are, are the big gamers here. And uh, it was kind of cool to go into this part of the trivia. And there wasn't really a whole lot as far as, like, um, YouTube videos or podcasts that really went into this niche history of gaming, really niche, or niche history of Batman, whichever way you want to look at it. So Yeah, especially the retro ones. Yeah, especially retro. Like, I didn't even know about ZX Spectrum mm-hmm. really before doing this. Yeah. I was, you know, like we said in the first episode, um, Wolfie and I, our generation started off with the first Nintendo. Anything before that is like mm-hmm. this fucking nether realm to us archaic uh, esoteric tomes of undecodable scripture yeah (laughs) it was like like what's it was like what's before cut me off what's before genesis like in the bible like what like there's nothing like (laughs) nes was the beginning like are you are you kidding me the fucking yeah the big bang of the nes yes uh gun but it's cool. Click, 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 click. It's cool to see that that kind of like that that little niche fandom, and especially like it being mainly a UK thing. That's pretty cool. Um, UK nerds and all that. But yeah, so this has been a cool, fun, deep dive. Thanks for everybody for being a part of this. And uh, if you want us to dive deeply into another um, Batman video game. Uh, you know, single game or as another series, um, Lego. I'm looking at you. Let us know. Send us an email <laughs> or a DM yep. or whatever, um, and uh, we'll do that. And um, anyway, I'm Thunderwolf Drew on Instagram and Twitter. Please check out the Shasta Army on uh, Patreon.com/slash/SuperHousePodcast and um, go to YouTube.com/slash/C/slash. Superhouse Podcast, and that's our um, page on there. Just search for Superhouse Podcast on YouTube, and you'll find us. And uh, take it away, Ben. 
Uh, we're also on Superhouse Pod on Instagram as well as on Twitter under the same handle. Uh, thank you to our followers on Instagram for this round. Uh, I'd like to thank the following accounts: uh, Comics 1964 NYC, uh, Z Designs Official, uh, the Little Rock Batman, who's a cosplayer with some awesome stuff, uh, Nig Mobble. Uh, that's N-Y-G-M-O-B-B-L-E, which is the term that uh, pairs up Edward Nigma and Oswald Cobblepot, since we were been talking about that you earlier. Have to, uh, you have to explain that one people. a little bit. <laughs> yeah. uh, I thought it was a rapper. Uh, Gotham. Ben? Uh. <laughs> In Gotham, um, <laughs> it was revealed that, I mean, as you guys might have remembered from our interview with Andrew Sellen, uh, Andrew Sellen... Robin Lord Taylor and uh, Corey Michael Smith are all uh, part of the gay community as well as played the three big rogues gallery members, especially in that episode. Uh, but they did play around with the idea of Oswald being in love with Edward Nigma in the show, which mm. creates this whole uh, shipping experience of uh, Nig Mobblepot is what it's called, trying oh to merge them together. Now, they didn't the end up together, really. They kind of ended things as friends. But it is something that uh, they toyed around with in the show. Uh, so that's why, uh, that's what the term means. Uh, other accounts to thank are Deveron, the artist, that's um, with underscores between each name. Uh, also Laughing Boy 81 also with underscores between each name. And then James Vankin, also with an underscore with that. So thank you all for your likes and for sharing us on Instagram. Uh, also, we, as of this recording, are still in the middle of a pandemic, which is why, partially why we covered the enemy within, even though Andrew and, and Wolfie didn't know it, uh, but since uh-huh. there was a pandemic in there, but uh, there are still mm. people who are affected by uh, this, as well as people who were affected by other accidents that happened before the pandemic, so one of those is Amanda Smith, who was the PA on the show Batwoman, a show that we mentioned earlier on the podcast. She was paralyzed, unfortunately, in a horrific accident, so... Go to GoFundMe.com slash F slash Amanda hyphen Smith hyphen Rehabilitation hyphen Fund. Uh, also, the Cat Cafe Lounge, I've discovered, is uh, back in terms of trying to get more donations because of the fact that we keep extending, especially in Los Angeles and California, uh, the lockdown procedures. So uh, they would need some help in order to remain in business to continue to shelter and provide sustenance for a lot of the cats that they rescue. Um, so go to the website at catcafelounge.com. Uh, also, a few causes that our friend of the podcast and the ventriloquist himself, Andrew Sellen, uh, promoted for us and told us about. One of those is called Shields for Heroes, which provides medical protection equipment for uh, medical personnel, especially in New York. And uh, you can go to the Instagram of Shields for Heroes uh, to find out information and find out their Venmo information to donate. Uh, there's also the Actors Fund, which helps out those who uh, have been affected who are not at work anymore, and that doesn't just include actors, but also uh, PAs, anybody who's below the line, anybody who works in production who is currently out of work. Uh, and then the last one is Shakespeare At, which was the production company, or not the production, the, the stage company that Andrew Sellen was part of that was going to do Romeo and Juliet this year, but has had to delay it till next year. Uh, so they're also accepting donations on their website. So please go to any of those and be a superhero and help out any way you can. Over to Wolfie. Hi, this is old Wolfie Krez, your old Uncle Krezzy. You be good, you stay off of them drugs. <laughs> and uh, when you're tucking your little chillins into bed, reading them their bedtime stories, 
remember that Uncle Krezzy is just a shooting star away. And uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> oh my <laughs> Started god! Sounding kind of weird. Um, yeah, don't do drugs. And uh, real quick, if you could just open up your phone and uh, open up the voice recorder app. It's on Droid and. What is it? Is it Android? What am I saying here, uh, bro? <laughs> Android. You always correct me <laughs> yes. on this shit. Android <laughs> and iPhone. And fucking, it's a voice recorder app. You have it already, more than likely. And record something like, Superhouse is fucking awesome. Fucking love you guys. Or even something like, you're now listening to Superhouse. Or whatever. And um, uh, finish that recording. And then press the share button. And then share it to... Uh, e- the email superhousepodcast at gmail.com and you too can become a part of Superhouse. Okay, and uh, let's not forget Kooky Noms, Matt Herring, and uh, I want to shout out Elijah B. I won't say the last name, but yeah, that's it, and I think that's it for me signing off. Ben signing off. Okay, bye.